Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. I'm Claire Heath McIver and honestly, I still can't believe you all listen when I am so sporadic with my episodes. However, I do have some great news for you. I've started a new podcast with Sherry Smith and Kate West. It's called Survivors Discuss and it's a panel format where we bring people together to talk about the common threads that wind through so many evangelical stories. I've also recently done a spot on Let's Build a Cult with Melbourne-based comedian Phoenix Trinidad. So find those wherever you find your podcasts. And I've also decided that I'm not too old to TikTok, which could be completely wrong. I might be way too old to TikTok. So there's that. But find the links in my show notes to all of these. Newsy stuff aside, though, wow, what a month it's been since I last posted an episode. War broke out in Israel and Palestine, and those of us who were raised Zionist even soft Zionists, will have likely been visited by the ghosts of apocalyptic doctrines past. So if you aren't feeling okay right now, if you're feeling like the sky is falling or the walls are closing in, you're amongst friends, you're not alone. So be kind to yourself as we base this patch of history together. I also don't think the USA is okay. There's been all this argy-bargy over who got the Speaker of the House role. It seems to be this hardcore right-wing guy with theocratic fantasies, if we're to take his speech as any indication. But that's only just kind of happened in the last 24 hours, so more will emerge, I'm sure. So look, there's a bit happening. And I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that for those of us who got that common church parting gift as part of our deconstruction, and I'm talking about PTSD, CPTSD or religious trauma syndrome. We can be feeling all sorts of not okay right now. So free yourself to seek support if you've been feeling odd or not okay. Recognize that this could be what it is. Okay, so today's guest is the wonderful, the beautiful, the smart, the graceful, the determined Rana Detrick. She has authored a book that absolutely has blown my mind. It's freshly out and on shelves. It's called Rewriting Eve, and it takes the basic premise of women reclaiming our own stories. What if Eve was telling her own story? What if Esther was? What if other women in the Bible were able to tell their own stories instead of having to be written and interpreted and preached about by men? I found it oddly challenging, but liberating, in that it made me realize just how much complementarianism church's attitudes to women had honestly framed the messaging the narrative through which I understood my own womanhood so this session really blew my mind Uh, and without further ado I'm just going to jump right into it this is Rana Detrick she's got an amazing story she's an amazing writer you're gonna love her Hello. Once again, I am sitting with a wonderful guest who gets to be drinking alcohol because where they are, it is past noon, whereas over here it's first thing on a Friday morning (laughs) and I'm sinking a coffee. I'm here with the lovely Runner Detrick. How are you today, Runner? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I I love the work that you've been doing and we're going to talk about your book that's coming out. We're going to talk about all sorts of things, but really your work is about centering women and the stories of women in the stories that we tell. Um, I, I got to say, there's no storyteller who arrives at a certain place in their life that doesn't have a story of their own. <laughs> so tell me, t- tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me how you came to be in this space of writing women's stories. Yeah. 
So uh, I'm always trying to figure out how to fast forward through this a bit, but um, <laughs> I, grew, I grew up in a super traditional Christian family, went to church yeah. every Sunday, went to Sunday school, went to vacation Bible school. I went to a Christian college. Um, I did some missionary work. I married a pastor, like all the things that one <laughs> might expect. <laughs> I know if you were following, you know, the best template possible for a faithful and devout life, I suppose on some level that would be it. Uh, on right. every level, I think that would be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, what it looks like on the outside and what's going on and what you're experiencing, you know, behind the scenes and on the inside yeah. is not always the same. So um, when I was, gosh, 40, I entered seminary. Right. Um, still married to the pastor at that time. Um, and I really had no interest in being involved in pastoral ministry at all. One right. in our house was more than enough. Um, but the <laughs> seminary that I chose was very progressive. And I was really interested in the way in which they were trying to think about sacred text as would make it relevant to today's culture. Yeah. And so for me, it was really just an opportunity to learn and explore and see where it took me. <laughs> and it was really in that experience, those three years while I was in school, uh, that I, well, by the time I left the seminary, I had also ended my marriage, left the church, and have not returned since. So. Yeah. It was a really great experience. Like I loved being in seminary. I loved what I was studying. I loved the discussions and it was really profound in terms of exposing me to an understanding of what I'd kind of just swallowed hook, line and sinker yeah. without thinking through critically. Yeah. So as it relates to the women's stories, I think there were two things, two really significant things that occurred while I was in school. One was that I was, um, I took a class called Feminist Critique, yeah, which had never been offered before and has never been offered again. Uh, <laughs> Gee, that must have really landed with a bang. <laughs> yeah, well, it was significant for me. So maybe it was only for me. I'm not sure. Uh, but the experience really, it was really the first time that I was shocked into seeing the objectification of women, not just religiously, not just in the church, not mm. just in scripture, but in the world. Like I just hadn't, I just had not had my eyes open to it. I just hadn't seen it. Yeah. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Exactly. And so that experience really started to infiltrate my thinking about the stories that I'd grown up hearing, the stories from the Bible, the stories of yeah. women. Uh, and I started thinking more critically about, about that. The second thing that occurred while I was in seminary was taking both Greek and Hebrew, <laughs> learning the original languages of the text. And I'm not, I was never remotely conversational. All I had to do was on paper translate things. That yeah. was about as far as it went. But in that, in the Hebrew class, it was all men except for two of us. Yeah. And we had to come in every day with the passage that we'd translated and read it to the rest of the class. 
And what I started to recognize was that the two of us um, had a different translation. Like the story wasn't different. Yeah. Yeah. The story didn't change the subjects, the verbs, the, you know, subject, object, all that stayed the same, but the texture and the nuances were different. And the men would argue and they would say, that's not how it goes. That's not how that's, that's not right. And the two of us would say, here's how we parsed the verbs. We did. Here's what we did. Like it's all accurate. Yeah. And so when I put all these things together, what I started recognizing was, okay, something's different when women tell the stories because all the stories have been told by men. Yeah. Forever and ever. Exactly. Um, And I think the second thing that I took away from that was that, uh, and not everyone would probably take the same thing, but I walked away from that experience saying, you know what? I have permission to work with these sacred texts, with these old stories, the way I want. Mm -hmm. Like they're not, you know, it was never God's hand holding the pen. Uh, I can do what I want with them. Hold on to the integrity of the story, but invite a perspective that I have not heard and that I really think was necessary. So... Anyway, I, uh, that's what I've been doing on some level ever since is taking these old stories of women and reimagining them through a lens that is mine distinctly, but also because I'm no longer in the church, I'm no longer, I don't ascribe to a particular religion. I'm really committed to being able to look at stories like Eve or Hagar or the woman at the well or whoever it is outside the context of the doctrine and the dogma and the theology. Like, can we just honor the woman? Yeah. Honor the story without getting sucked into the vortex of all the that has gone along with them. Now there's there's a few I mean there's so many strands that I want to pull at just from from <laughs> the the 6 minutes or whatever that we've we've been chatting already but uh, so I mean the first thing I think is that that's a hell of a deconstruction that you went through seriously um, that's a life altering person you know your per- your whole personality would come under scrutiny as as being the the good pastor's wife and um you know having grown up through that kind of pipeline of of, of cradle to you know beside the pulpit sort of thing and <laughs> and then the the whole thing about biblical inerrancy it really starts to fall apart when you do something simple like read it for yourself in the original text and I, I I saw this meme um the, the the profound truth of memes on the internet sometimes I know it's a bit <laughs> like it's a bit like pastors using Chick-fil-A as exegesis um before, before their sermons but <laughs> but there's this one where I saw like you know evangelicals oh we ha- we can never know what it says Jews, yes, we know what it says. We speak the language. No, nobody knows the. Nobody knows what it means. Yes, we do. We know what it means. Yeah. And there's this yes. like the people who say who, as, who still speak these languages, and obviously, languages kind of evolve over time and all of that. But this idea of biblical inerrancy just falls apart. Was mm-hmm. it? 
Um, and then obviously you're coming up against this um, this kind of masculinized, men-centric, let's see it through our eyes and if you tell it a different way, we're going to push back at you. Was that mm-hmm. scary for you as a woman? Was that confronting sitting with sitting with that and going how much how how much has this been done to me my whole life Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's the interesting thing is that you know I can kind of if I put if I segment things out and I put them in buckets a little bit like the reinterpretive work that I was trying to do of the stories the deeper that I went the clearer the harm of patriarchy showed up for me within the history of the church, within the history of the way, you know, the understanding of how these women's stories have been told, the way that that has influenced our politics and our social systems. Like I could see it in this huge global frame. Mm. At the same time, I think that I was starting to identify all of that. Of course, I'm wrestling with all of that internally. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to see patriarchy out in the world or within the context of the church. It's another thing to start to acknowledge the ways in which I've been participative in that. I've benefited from that. Yes. The ways that it's harmed me. Um, and so I think, you know, I was doing all of this at a really personal level, simultaneous to what I was doing just from a thought level and a writing level. And of course, you know, I ended my marriage shortly after I finished my MDiv program. And even that, like, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day saying that I remember like toward the end of it, not knowing I was at the end of it, that I couldn't, I could not come up with a way to see how I could leave because it, felt wrong. Like, you know, like in the context of the church, in the context of what I'd grown up with and learned and knew inside out, upside down and backwards, like, I just need to trust that God's going to make it okay, Mm -hmm. but it's not okay. Now what? How do I reconcile all of this? And you can't, right? I just think, I think that's where we get a little trapped at times is that we we want everything (laughs) to make sense. We want the systems to work. We want the tenets and the doctrines and the verses that we've memorized to all fall into place and make sense of our lives. Um, And that just isn't my experience. No. And I want to sit with that for, for a minute because- I think it a lot of people it wouldn't be their experience. I want to I want to delve into how you see patriarchy harming women in Christian. My stomach has entered the chat. I I I really hope that the um that the AI software that I use to edit gets rid of these huge stomach rumbles. <laughs> I really need to learn to eat breakfast before podcasts. But anyway, <laughs> that's a tangent. I want to I want to delve into how patriarchy really does harm women and I think it's a especially in churches I was just at school drop off and um somebody asked me what I was doing today I was like oh I've got a podcast interview and um they're like oh is it on your story I'm like no no it's there's a lot of stories in evangelicalism and I was talking about patriarchy and how there's movements where 
they have stay home daughters. Um, Kate West, my co-host on Survivors Discuss, she was a stay home daughter. She left that movement um, at, at immense loss to herself. You see these shiny, happy people, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Duggars, the, the Gothard movement, which is so heavy on female subjugation, so heavy on servitude um, mm-hmm. and you know, and then you've got like these more extreme movements like out in the Bible Belt where you've got like polygamy or you've got wife spanking is, and I'm not talking in a sexy context, just in a discipline <laughs> context. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, don't kink shame here. <laughs> but like we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the you have displeased me, I will punish you and causing inflicting harm. I think in any other circles that would be called wife bashing. but. Then we've got the purity culture movement and Shannon Harris, who now goes by Shannon Bon. She's just released a book, uh, The Woman They Wanted. And we're starting to really pull at these threads of what is church doing to women? Why mm. is evangelicalism the last bastion of, um, of patriarchal abuse? And how have we mm-hmm. gotten here? And, mm-hmm. and then things don't fall into place and and the certainty that you looked for just trust god it'll all come good i've trusted god for my partner everything's going to be fine like obviously i'm divorcing i mm-hmm. i keep on saying that i'm too disorganized to actually file and it's been three and a half years but like you know no amount of trust in god was going to make my husband straight um because there's nothing wrong with being gay so like you know there's all of these threads that we have to pull at how does this what do you say to women who are marinating in this, you know, this toxic source of patriarchy, biblical inerrancy and, you know, just systems that that, that don't allow them to be heard? Mm. Big question. Just say whatever you like. Just <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's so huge. I mean, I wish that it was – I wish that evangelicalism was the last bastion of – of patriarchy, but clearly in the United States, the Supreme Court continues to, yeah, yeah, you know, That's show special. That is, gosh, uh, yeah, lots of patriarchy there. But what I what I think is, I mean, I can talk about certainly how patriarchy shows up, why I think mm. it is so rampant in the context of the church, based on even if only if the only thing I ever did was look at the story of Eve, we can see the whole template right there. Like it's yeah. all laid out for us with the way that the story, Eve's story has been told. And my point in my book and, you know, that I talk, say all the time is that it's not the story, it's the way it's told yeah. that has created this problem that has been perpetuated and perpetuated and perpetuated. But I think in addition to being able to name the why, I the the deeper question for me as I'm having conversations with women about this is how do we begin to identify it, recognize it, and then find a way out from yeah. underneath it? So and yeah. and I think for me, um, you know, and it was a long, slow process for me being able to do this, but it started with some of the simplest questions like <laughs> what do you think that God actually thinks mm. about you, Rana? Like what, what, like what are the characteristics that you think are actually true about the divine? I mean, I remember the first time I was asked that question, <laughs> 
from by my spiritual director, and I gave all the right answers. Oh, like correct all answers. the theological terms. Like yes. I knew them, right? Because yeah. this is my life. Like I was in seminary at the time. Like I'll tell you exactly. Yeah, you know yeah. all the right things. And a she said, answer. okay. Yeah. She said, okay, great. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all that. Um, she said, but, but seriously, like when you list all that stuff off, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Is that what you, what you, is that a God you'd want to be mm. in relationship with, or you would want to think is, has got your back or cares or loves you? Like, how would you talk about that God? Mm. And what I realized is I couldn't fill in those blanks. Like wow. I just, I could, I mean, intellectually I could, I could give the right answers, quote the right verses. I could do all of that, but experientially mm. I, that wasn't there. It was just the right words, not the actual feelings. And so yeah, I, for me, this is why I keep going back to these women's stories, because if I, if I can hear Eve's story from a place that, that doesn't shame and silence, then I can imagine a God that doesn't shame and silence either. Yeah. If I can hear the story of the woman at the well as a, as a woman that Jesus found to be brilliant and yeah. witty and fascinating, as opposed to trying to get her to admit that she was sinful yeah. That's a God that I can interact with. But how yeah. would I know that God if yeah. those stories haven't been told to me through a woman's lens, stories about women that invite an experience of the divine that I can even begin to respect, let yeah. alone relate to. So so, so take so take me into ahead. this without without sort of giving away, you know, too much of the book because, you know, people should go and buy it, but how how do you spin this differently? Like, well, it's not spin, is it? How do you interpret this differently? How do you, uh, how did this process go? And how, how does it end up different for Eve? Like, how, oh, yeah. how do you? Okay. Yeah, we can use hers for, for an example. I mean, it's easy for us to look at, and I do this in the book, like, let's just, you know, name how her story has been told and what the ramifications of that have been over the centuries, right? I look yeah. at this long arc of history, even in the first chapter of like, this is why the world is like it is. This is why a woman's experience yeah. is the way that it is because of the predominant ways in which Eve's story has been told. Yeah. But what we've missed in that, when that's the only way we've told the story, we miss some pretty significant things. Mm -hmm. Um we miss the fact that what we're witnessing in this story is a woman with agency, a mm. woman with intuition, a woman who is sovereign, who is curious, who makes choices. Now, we're the ones who've said that all of that was bad. Yeah. There's nothing in the text that tells us it was bad. Really? So, no. No, I mean, even the whole banishment from the garden thing, like even that, when I look at that, I think, okay, seriously, <laughs> you know, we have all this language around a return to Eden and getting back to when everything was perfect yeah. and whole and complete. And I'm like, bullshit. No. Okay. No. When, when we think about uh, the leaving the garden, <laughs> It was not a severing of relationship with God. 
it actually, it's after they leave the garden that we now see God's intimacy and care in ways we'd never seen it before. If we follow the story through generation after generation after generation, the whole story is about God's care. That's not what we're seeing in Eden. No. We're seeing, right? Like it, it all begins the intimacy and the and the nurture and the advocacy of the divine all happens outside the garden. I, I have to say um, this is difficult for me to it's difficult for me to process because obviously my read well my read of Eve is based on the patriarchal telling of Eve's story. Mm-hmm. Eve was tempted, Eve ate the fruit. Mm-hmm. Eve Mm -hmm. gave the fruit to Adam. Adam listened to the sinful woman. He ate the fruit. They're banished Mm -hmm. from the garden. Mm -hmm. Original sin came from them. Mm -hmm. And and God cursed, you know, cursed (laughs) us all. So is is that not in the text? No. So the only thing (laughs) that's cursed, like literally cursed, is the serpent. Right. There are consequences for Eve and Adam's choices, but they're not cursed. They're just consequences. And what we hear is that, you know, women will forever experience pain Pain and labor. And we say, this would have never happened had Eve not taken that fruit, da, 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 da. Well, okay. But it's, but those of us who've given birth would never trade the experience of the pain for the gift that we, and the transformation that occurs because of that. Yeah. Like, true. We get to say, I mean, it, it, to me, it's naive to say, well, look, if Eve hadn't made that choice, then men wouldn't toil with futility and women wouldn't know pain in childbirth. Really? Well, then we'd also not know what it means to come through struggle with new mm-hmm. life on the other side, both as a metaphor and literally. Literally. Yeah. Yeah, I just and, and so even yeah, true. E, and even the idea that she was tempted again, I think it depends on how you look at the story, like how you choose to yeah. interpret what's going on right there. The serpent asks her, "Did God say that you could you were not allowed to eat from any tree in the garden?" Yeah. And she says, "No, not any tree, just these whatever, you know, they have this yeah. little conversation." And here's another thing that we've missed in this story. Eve actually articulates to the serpent her understanding of the divine. She says, God said this, not this, whatever, right? She talks about God. It's the first time in the whole text ever that someone is articulating an understanding of God. And (laughs) who is it? It's It's Eve. It's Eve. Now, why don't we just talk about that? Why don't we look at that story and we go, wow, the first person, the first human that ever actually uttered an understanding of God was a woman. Isn't that great? Which we don't talk about that. No. And then obviously the the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. Of course. But like, yeah, if if you're reading. We don't talk about that. We don't talk the about first that. theophany, yeah. the first time the divine ever appears in physical scene form is to Hagar, a woman who is a slave, who is marginalized, who is ostracized. It, like that's the first person that God ever appears to. We don't no. talk about it that way. No, we never tell not. that story that way. 
So my point in this is that it doesn't mean that the story as we've told it, this mythic poem, which is really yeah. what it is, it's poetry, it's, it was never designed to be the seven days creation, you know, it was never <laughs> meant to be that, it's the, it was a it's a myth a, that somebody made up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. But it's a but it's mythic, take. right? Yeah. It's, it's it's it it was a way to make sense of why are we here? How yeah. does life work? Oh well, one day there was a garden and you know, but it was yeah. never designed to make women be at fault. It was just a story that yeah. I think if we choose to look at it differently, invites an honoring of a woman's curiosity and wisdom and intuition and self-trust. And all of those things are what led to them leaving the garden, which opened up an expanse of yeah. land and future and possibility and relationship with the divine. Yeah. So that, gosh, this, you see, I could go on and on, but it just, again, I'm not negating. I mean, I don't need to argue with anybody about the other way that we've often told yeah. the story. I get that. I can see why that's been the tack that we've taken yeah. on this one, but it was just a tack that we took. It was just yeah. the direction that we went. What if we went this way instead? Yeah. Everything would be different. Yeah, because you're right. The template is there. And if we if we just shift the way we look at that template, then all of a sudden you can pick up on the power of women's intuition, the power of women's agency mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. throughout the Bible, which then leads us to a, a position, uh, gosh, I mean, one of my favourite narratives to switch is that of Jezebel because Jezebel has been a brand that has been thrown at strong women, has been thrown at intuitive women, has been thrown at smart women so much over the course of, mm -hmm. you know, generations. Mm -hmm. But if she was like, because she was a pagan princess who was sent into, a, into Israel mm -hmm. by marriage, if you flipped that and sent an Israelite princess into a pagan nation and she held on to her faith the way Jezebel did you'd be like oh, yeah, Esther, you know, Esther yeah. would be an example on the flip yeah oh, well, right? oh my gosh yes why did I not see that Esther yeah. was an example on the flip and we're like oh mm -hmm. we honor her we, we mm -hmm. give her such you know almost mm -hmm. veneration as as a picture of what a woman should be and yet Jezebel gets even branded. though she was sex trafficked yeah oh my gosh Holy yeah. wow. I mean, not that, not to her detriment, like she yeah. still deserves our honor, but like yeah. she was sex trafficked. Like how did we miss that little point? Right. Oh my gosh. Um, that, yeah. I, I feel like that even one's the just story of Jezebel, hmm. I think even the story of Jezebel, I think again, it, it, when you think about the story, if you are telling the story as a woman, if you're thinking about what her experience would have been, what that would have been like for her to yeah. enter into that circumstance and you ask yourself, what in the world would she have been thinking? What did it take for her to stand her ground, to, mm. to, to speak, to act, to be who she was authentically? Well, that's what I'd want to honor. Like, yeah. we should all be like her. Like, <laughs> look how much courage that took. Look how much... <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like it's miraculous what she was capable of doing. And I think that one of the points I keep making in the book is, you know, it's hard to kind of undo these stories when we've heard them over and over and over again the same yeah. way. But what I want us to imagine is who would I be today 
if I'd heard Eve's story told differently from the get-go, if when I'd gone to sleep at night, I'd heard a story about Jezebel as a powerful, badass woman who, you know, kicked ass and took names, like who would I have become? Yeah. Now I am proud of who I've become, but as you know, it's like a ton of work to like break out of, learn, grow, you know, all of that. But I, when I think about, I mean, I think that's the part that breaks my heart is that those women lived their lives. And what we've done is taken the telling that's been given to us and it shuts them down. Yeah. They're harmed a second time. Yeah. Or multiple times because we don't pull them out and honor all that they've suffered, all that they've struggled through, all of the misinterpretations and misunderstandings. And now yeah. what I want to be able to do is hold them up and say, let's just look at who you are and all that you were able to accomplish and how you showed up and what you suffered through and survived. Yeah. That's what I want to learn from. This. And I don't need to know. Yeah. I don't need all the other stuff. I don't need the doctrine. I don't need the dogma. I don't need I don't need that. I just want the stories of the women cleaned mm. from that and held up as mentors and companions and advocates and guides for us today. Yeah. Cuz yeah, well, it, it I'm almost ashamed to say it that how difficult I find this conversation because I think like inspiring but difficult in that it's coming up against the programming of, you know, I'm 40 now. Um, mm-hmm. I've been out of church for three years, but mm-hmm. still deeply respectful of, of the of the sacred text. I, yeah. I love theology and I love the Bible, but my position around it has changed. It's no mm-hmm. longer this literal inerrant Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know guide for life it's you know you see like we can go oh yeah revelation was apocalyptic fiction um i've never heard of genesis as anything other than the origin story of of the world even though Mm -hmm. like my local cafe or there's a cafe that i go to sometimes and i looked at the their bookshelf the other day and i was like oh my god creation magazine on the bottom shelf what the hell i'm gonna have to like triggered (laughs) um because you kind of hear of genesis as this literal seven days or like this literal beginning to how it all um arrived so having the permission to go no it's it's poetry it's um or, or some of this is allegory it's not kind of historical fact mm-hmm. it, it frees mm-hmm. you up to look at things differently but then mm-hmm. i'm thinking of i'm thinking of these women in the bible like the woman at the well i mean the way that story's been spun is slut shaming really mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that is the way that mm-hmm. story's been spun we don't sure. see we don't see the wit and the wisdom and the intuitiveness um <laughs> i did not it had not even dawned on me that, of course, of course, Esther was trafficked. Of course, um, there's there's so many layers to this. So, mm-hmm. how then has all of this affected? Do you think present women in church in in these systems that that you and I were raised in? And how does how what is your hope for them? 
So let me make sure I understand the question. Are you asking me how does the predominant way these stories have been told impact women or how does what I'm trying to do impact women or both? Which are you asking okay, me? Okay, no los dos. Let's do both. <laughs> okay, let's okay. do both. Well, I think you're making the point for the answer to the first question. I think the way that these stories, when they're told as they always have been, uh, we assume that they, that's how they're to be told. Mm. We don't push back. We don't, we rarely question. We just read the text. We hear the sermon and we assume and trust that the person who's doing that interpretive work knows more than we do. So that must be right. Yeah. And almost always, whether it's a story about a woman or a man, frankly, almost always the message underneath is either don't do this or do this, be better, try harder, you know, achieve, rise up, confess, you know, yeah. no matter what story we're telling, it usually takes us to some place of either feeling like we're not enough mm -hmm. um, and we should be doing better. And thank goodness forgiveness exists because how else would we ever, you know, make it? Um, thank goodness for the male headship. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, or if if I try to take a more positive slant, we we leave on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights or whenever we go to church, feeling that we're lucky that we're loved and seen and cherished, and and now I have responsibility to live from that place. Okay, I, I'm not. I okay. don't want to argue either side of that spectrum, <laughs> but I think. I think, I think the biggest problem when these stories aren't told through a woman's lens is that a woman sitting in the pew never hears or sees herself. Yeah. She can hear a story about the woman at the well, but it isn't, it isn't translated or talked about through her perspective. Mm. I remember having dinner with a pastor years ago. I was at some training thing and he said to me, do you think that I can be a feminist? And I said, sure, <laughs> you can, you can be a feminist. Like you can believe and understand what feminism is and be rah, rah, all on board with that. That's fine. And he <laughs> said, well, do you think that I can preach as a feminist? Um, and like, like, is that, can I do that? And I said, well, no. Right. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you can understand feminist theology. You can tell the story in the most feminist leaning way you possibly could. But I said, it's still you standing up in front of me. Yeah. And you can't possibly tell the story the same way that I could having lived in the body of a woman. Yeah. So I said, at the very best... You need to be having lots of conversations with other women to try yeah. to understand how we would understand. Mm. That would be yeah. the best that you could do. I said, I said, or, or the minimum you could do, the best that you could do would be to sit down mm. and let awesome, a woman yeah. tell the story because yeah. she's going to automatically see it 
in a way that women can then respond. And men, I think. I think men need to hear stories through the lens of a woman, <laughs> frankly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's that side. I mean, I, there's lots of problems, obviously, with the stories being told the way that they have or not being told. I think that's another problem. A lot yeah. of these stories of women are never told because yes. they're painful and they're violent and yeah. they're ugly. Yeah. And the women have been profoundly harmed in the stories in the text itself. Yeah, so wow. it's hard to tell them. Yeah. And I've sat with that at times. I'm like, do I want to tell the story of the concubine that's raped and cut into 12 pieces? Like, whew, it's horrible. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but, you know, but then I think, well, if I don't tell the story, she's silenced yet again. Mm. I have yeah. to tell the story because we have to see and name the harm in order for it to no longer be perpetuated and to honor and, her. Yeah. And this is the, I think this is the cultural moment that the church globally is in at the moment is there's harm that needs to be named mm-hmm. so that it's, it's, so that it cannot be perpetuated. And yeah, the, and this, this is the juxtaposition that, you know, this is what your book is juxtaposed against the history, but also the present, like also the, these stories of sexual abuse, these stories of spousal abuse, these stories of, you know, coerced labor, these stories of not being able to leave, these stories of agency mm-hmm. being stripped away from these women. It's so hard for us to name. And, mm-hmm. and what I'm seeing is, even in the Bible, we haven't been naming, we haven't been saying the quiet no. part out loud. It grieves the me. The beautiful part, yeah, but the mm. beautiful part is that um, if I have a story, like if I'm a woman who feels like I can't leave, which yeah. I have been that woman, I if I have the story of Hagar walking alongside me, a woman who left anyway, who wandered the desert pregnant, who was encountered by the the divine shows up for her, who still faces more hardship after that. I feel less alone. Yeah. I don't feel like I have to like rise up and be some amazing, you know, victorious, never flailing person. Instead, I'm accompanied and companioned by women who know exactly what yeah. I feel. Yeah. So if we're talking about the the political reality, the cultural reality of sexual trafficking, uh, then we need Esther to companion people who've experienced that or those of us who are fighting in social justice yeah. context in this regard. Like we need these stories told in a way that says, look, This has happened before. I'm so sorry. What would Esther say to you? What would she understand about your plight? What compassion would she offer you? And I feel like we've had to, we've been so alone as women in the context of this text, but in the context of our own kind of spiritual journey because yeah. we haven't had women to come alongside us, which I think are sitting right there in the text, yeah. to say, I see you. I know exactly yeah. what that feels like. I'm right here with you. You're not yeah. alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. Do you know, it, it throws some really interesting light on Vashti, doesn't it? The Esther's mm-hmm. predecessor. 
mm-hmm. who refused to parade. She refused exactly. to parade in front, naked, I think, in front of the, you know, in front of the king and his, his you know, yeah. his She's cronies. one of the chapters in my book. I ah, chapter uh, I, look, I, I really, I'm going to have to get this book. Um, this, it's, I have to say, it, it raises all sorts of feelings in me hearing you talk about this book and hearing you talk about the retelling of women's stories and, and and the feelings are a little hard to put my finger on at the moment, but I will say this, we've been, because of this doctrine of male headship, because of the whole women can't teach, because of the whole doctrine around Eve and original sin, is women can't be trusted, women are too emotional, there can be this deep-seated distrust of who we are and yet mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the it's not the story it's the angle um Mm -hmm. but but allowing ourselves to see it is I think hard work because it goes up against the programming and the lived experience of having grown up in in systems that that look benevolent and maybe want to be benevolent but because of this fundamental misunderstanding aren't benevolent correct uh it's even the fact that there is feminist theology, even the fact that there is liberation theology, even the fact that there's queer theology, I think could be deeply offensive to a lot of people. And yet it's there. Um, how do you, and I think it's so, yeah. I mean, it just, I find it so ironic, I guess, that resistance because it, it assumes that there's one right way yes, to understand yes. that text, which is incredibly presumptuous and incredibly arrogant, yeah. especially when we must acknowledge that it, even though I learned Hebrew and Greek, what I was reading had been reinterpreted and retold millions of times yeah. before it was ever written down. Who the yeah. hell knows whether yeah. these things happened or didn't happen, were true or weren't true. From my perspective, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. it's sort of like, I, I guess I look at it a lot like I would look at mythic stories, Isis, Persephone, Medusa, any of these stories. We look at those and we don't argue. Did yeah. it happen? Didn't it happen? Which way did it happen? What exactly? Which time period? What was going on? What was the culture? Yeah. We, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. We hold the story loosely. We pull on the threads that have meaning. We see it as an archetype. We see where threat, you know, aspects of those stories show up in our lives, where we've seen aspects of those stories throughout history. We can understand them historically. All fine. Yeah. Something changes, has changed when it comes to scripture, which I think is yeah. really just within the last few hundred years. Like it yeah, didn't I used think, to be this way. I think um, a lot's changed in the last few hundred years when it comes yes, to scripture. But I believe the Bible. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And so to say that queer theology, womanist theology, liberation theology, feminist theology are errant somehow or abhorrent or wrong it it, it, to me it's just it just doesn't work like you can't say that because your theology whatever it is was one of many 
that yeah. you just happened to land in, that you just yeah. happened to hear on Sunday mornings, that you just happened to grow up in. But the person next door to you that grew up Catholic learned something yeah. totally different, not the same yeah. text, but they yeah. learned about it in a different way. So sure, you know, when I was growing up, I learned that, uh, you know, Catholics, not, no good. Mormons, no good. Yeah, these are not things we can believe in. Yeah. Uh, now I look at them and I'm like, it's just a different angle on the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And when we bring them together, uh, we can start to pick and choose what works for me, what invites me to a sense of wholeness and completeness versus tearing me down, what builds community, what creates justice, which ultimately, I think that's all the text is about is yeah. justice, caring for the widow, the orphan, the alien, like all the way through the Old and New Testament. That's just, the message. Right? Just don't that's ask the US Supreme Court what that message is. <laughs> no, no, they, they, we would disagree for sure. No question about it. I just think that we, we have to understand, and I know this is hard for people, mm. and I, I've certainly walked through it myself many years ago, but you know, when we learn that scripture is inerrant, that it is absolute truth, that it cannot be, should not be altered, et cetera, yeah. it assumes that the text is objective. Yeah. It was never objective. It's yeah. always been subjective. And every person who looks at it, reads it, hears it, automatically is taking it in in a subjective way because it's through our lens and our experience and our background and our cultural history. And there is no such thing as objectivity in anything, yeah. but <laughs> certainly not in scripture. And oh, once yeah. I once you know, and once for me, I think once I began to understand that concept where I went, oh, it's all subjective. Yeah. Every, even when I read the text in original language, it's still subjective, partly because of the teller of the story and partly because of my lens that I bring to the text. I can't not. Yeah. Well, then if that's true, I have way more freedom and permission. Yeah to look at this text the way I want to, because it's always yeah. been subjective. I may as well look at it subjectively. N no lightning is going to strike me. Nothing, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. I'm just <laughs> telling a story as they've been told for millions of years, thousands anyway, in yeah. a different way for a yeah. different purpose. <laughs> it's I, I gosh, it, it, that's, that's hella liberating. And and I just like I wanted to admit the resistance. Mm -hmm. I wanted to call it out the resistance because I mean I started deconstructing seven years ago upon exit from my dad's church, um, which has taken me through all sorts of plot twists. Which has taken me through a marriage separation, um, which has taken me through you know then stepping out of church entirely. And thank you COVID nineteen for for greasing that wheel, um, <laughs> but. You know, I don't think deconstruction's ever done. I think mm, it's mm. a journey that we continue to walk. And like, even like at the moment, a, a dear friend of mine is is going through deconstruction and still holding on to faith and still kind of turning mm -hmm. it over in their hands and going, you know, how do I make this work given my experience? And I think I want to, 
I want to honour that experience in people because you don't have to deconstruct anybody else's way. You don't have to become an atheist. You don't have to you don't have to do this anybody else's way. Mm-mm. And I think Mm-mm. what by giving the agency back to women in the story, we give ourselves permission to have agency over our own stories, don't we? And that's, For that's sure. the power, isn't it? Um, yes. And I've been reflecting as you've been talking last year, um, there was – uh, uh, there was a, an investigative journalism thing that went on with um, myself and my ex-husband and family structures and stuff like that um, ended up in a 60-minute story and whatnot or about 1% of it did. But I was observing how how I saw things versus how my ex-husband saw things versus how the journalist did. Um, mm. And these were two men, but, like, the, the, the journalist was a straight man my ex-husband was a gay man and I and me as a woman how we sit with these different and I don't think it's all about gender or sexuality but but no but for for Patrick when he was telling like when he was trying to draw the things together he was all about power structures he'd point out the power structures I'd point out the relational structures um and like even that was just a little bit it was just a little bit of a different perspective but it's the nuance isn't it Mm -hmm. the the power structures but the journalist was very objective and he was very like oh well that didn't happen this happened and I'm like ah no but this is the backstory behind it so even when you're looking at one thing from one angle you can have so many different perspectives around it and that is Mm -hmm. one story that was told close to time with three different hands in it um, mm-hmm. when you actually take a Bible story that is been- recent not thousands of years old yeah, exactly that's what I'm <laughs> yes. getting at is when something has been passed down from generation to generation we kind of laugh I think one of the one of the texts the writer of the text calls himself the most humble man in all of like you're like, oh really yeah. just brag to me about how humble you are and then you realize you probably yeah. didn't actually write that text but how would we yeah. not call this out because there's thousands of years and it's verbal history for a lot of it and yeah the, the loss of objectivity mm-hmm. even when mm-hmm. objectivity is so difficult even in the moment mm-hmm. you're absolutely right it, it kind of makes you look at everything different so mm-hmm. what then is your hope for the modern woman the modern or the mm. postmodern woman, the today's mm-hmm. woman in church, today's woman mm-hmm. in uh, submission to her, you know, her pastors, her husband, the, the male figures over her. What is it that you hope that rewriting Eve does for her? Well, I would love to think that it would open up her imagination mm. to to other ways of still honoring the text, still honoring the stories, but in ways that are redemptive on her behalf. I would hope that it would uh, invite her to critically, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but constructively, critically consider uh, the way in which the tellings have influenced and impacted her up to this point and Mm. to wonder about what might be different if they'd been told a different way. And I think more than anything, what I would want for her is that she would read it. I mean, I tell 10 10 stories in the book, but that she would read it and really have a sense that she is being upheld, that she stands on the shoulders of all these other women who came before 
who see her plight, who understand the tension, who get the dilemma, who, who feel all of the same conflict that mm-hmm. she does and still have wisdom to offer, still have compassion to give. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, these women aren't intellectual, academic texts that I'm working with. Like when I was going through my divorce before deciding to leave the marriage and then certainly walking through it with two young girls, mm-hmm. honestly, these some of these women and their stories that they were what the only way I made it through. Like I desperately needed to, and I would just ask myself, like I would ask them like Hagar is a good example. I would just, I would sit in front of my computer and I would just type like, what do I think Hagar would say to me right now Mm. based on her experience, based on her harm, based on all the things that she risked when she ran into the desert, like, what do I think she would say? And I desperately needed that mm. voice. And I just imagined it. Yeah. Now, some might say, well, you can't just imagine Hagar's voice, Rana. Like, I'm like, why? Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> do what I want. <laughs> I'm not yeah. harming the story. I'm not arguing it theologically. What I'm inviting is the companionship and support and circle and wisdom of women Mm. that I think we're so absent of across the planet, but certainly in the context of the church, we, we, we just don't have that available to us and we desperately need it and we deserve it. We deserve to be surrounded and supported by our matrilineal line, which is who Mm. I think these women are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, when I started this podcast, I I started it under alias. Um, I was trying to escape quietly, but still turn over my experience in my mind, still, still turn over the theology of it in my mind. And so I didn't want to be, I I didn't want to use my, my normal name. My Claire Heath McIver is my real name. So I used my grandmother's names. I used Kit, which was the first name mm-hmm. of one grandmother, and Kennedy, which was the second name of the other grandmother. Um, and I loved that. It gave me courage um, mm-hmm. because what I know about these women, one, just she was a musician like me. She was a writer like me. She had a pen of fire. Or maybe I'm like her and um but yet she she lived in a farming community. She raised eight kids. She actually she raised eleven kids because she uh, her nieces and nephew lived over the back fence and tragically lost their parents. Like this was a mm. a badass woman that I'm really proud mm-hmm. to be in her line. And then my other nana, just a sense of humor, just an ability to survive. Um, and you know, she the start of her life was rocky as hell man it was rocky and then she found the love of a wonderful man and raised six kids and just she was just so thankful she was just so grateful and she was quirky and she was funny and I see aspects of that in myself too so Mm. if we can look at the stories of the bible and pull some of those and amplify some of those aspects the woman at the well was witty she was smart she was influential Mm -hmm. um Hagar sounds like she had a rough pregnancy, man, but she was, mm-hmm. <laughs> she was, she was doing her thing. So this, I think, gives us a bit of courage um, 
I, and I, I acknowledge yeah. the difficulty. I acknowledge the difficulty that it might be wrapping your head around a whole new way of seeing things, but it's permission. So thank you for, for doing that for, um, for all of us. Of so course. Rewriting Eve is out next month, isn't it? Actually, by the time this goes yeah. live, Rewriting Eve will be out. Yeah. So you can go to ronadetrick.com to get that and I'll put the link in the show notes. Where else can we find you on the interwebs? I'm on both Instagram and Facebook. Same thing, Ronna Dietrich. Yeah. Um, easy to find me and the book's available anywhere you buy books. So Fabulous. Yeah. I think and it's a must on Substack. Have. That's where I write. Substack. Ah, Substack. Yeah, I need to do the Substack thing. Yeah, but but we'll talk about that after I hit stop. Thank you <laughs> so much for this this conversation. It's sometimes I have sometimes I do podcast interviews and I know that it's really interesting and we're like pinging and 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 the conversations really back and forth and other other times I'm just like like this one, this is something I deeply needed to know. This is something I deeply mm-hmm. needed to understand because in my ongoing evolution as a, as a woman, as a, um, a mother of a young girl, as, uh, as somebody deconstructing their way out of church, there's a lot of, there's a lot of internalized patriarchy. There's a lot yeah. of internalized misogyny and uh and and dealing with that takes time so i want to acknowledge the resistance i want to acknowledge Mm -hmm. the immense learning curve that this must have been for you and that this needs Mm -hmm. to be for me so if you're listening to it at home be kind to yourself and i think this is one of these moments where you sit with it and go ah maybe this sits maybe this sits heavy because it's something i need to take time to digest so Mm -hmm. um congratulations on a brilliant a brilliant book and on a brilliant project and and on all of the ways that you've reinvented yourself to be a strong and vibrant and intelligent and funny woman i'm so thankful we met so thank you for being here today i appreciate that so much thank you 